Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. Here's your host for today's show. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is a linguist in her own right, a language learning professor, and an experienced language coach. She speaks Thai, Portuguese, and Spanish, and a bunch of others. A lot of you know her from her language and culture learning tips called Tip of the Tongue. We're grateful to have her on the show today to talk about collaborative learning. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Mary Lynn, for this opportunity. How long have you been in the language learning world, Lauren? For over 20 years now. We'll get to some of your great specific suggestions, but tell us first what you mean by collaborative learning. Basically, I like to encourage people to learn together rather than learning on their own. Why is this topic dear to your heart? I see a lot of people going it alone. They arrive in a country, and I think what I'm seeing is that people are tackling learning a new language similar to the way that they maybe learned a language in high school where in high school you're told what to do and how to do it and then you go home and do your homework and it's it for many people it ends up being a solitary exercise and so i think what i'm seeing is people are tackling the language as if it were a subject a high school subject and then they go home they have their books they have their flashcards and then they go home and try to review them maybe even at a desk in isolation and my desire is to see people more connected. I'm thinking in Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Studies across the board have shown that when people learn together collaboratively, there is a much higher retention of information and the more relaxed atmosphere lowers people's effective filter. That means the emotions that get into learning a language and they learn better. Tell us more of the benefits of collaborative learning. When people take the knowledge that they've learned and share it, if let's say someone learns a word, especially in a minority language, if two people are studying a minority language, there's no dictionary to go to. So now someone has discovered a word and another person still doesn't know that word. It makes a lot of sense for them to work together. So you can have people with greater experience assisting those with less experience. Also, even when you have more experience than someone, there's still something to learn from someone else. You haven't met everyone in that culture and each person brings knowledge of that culture that they've had firsthand experience. You can also get helpful feedback from colleagues or other people on how you're doing. Maybe there's something that you're doing that they know is offensive in the local culture and you just haven't discovered that yet. So it helps you to avoid making some mistakes also stimulates thinking. When someone says, I've been thinking about classifiers in this language, maybe someone thought, oh yeah, I remember learning about that in linguistic school, but I totally haven't thought about classifiers since I moved here. Oh yeah, thanks for reminding me about classifiers, whatever it is. Opportunities to bounce ideas off of other people. It can also be accountability when people are studying. It doesn't even have to be that they're studying the same language. But when people are each studying languages, they can help each other say, how's it going? Are you 
finding people to communicate with in the community and are you integrating into the community so there can be that mutual accountability. Also, sometimes other learners can really explain things more simply than a native speaker. I remember I took Thai reading lessons for months and it was just not clicking. And a Western man pulled me aside one day, showed me a few things about the consonant classes. And I would say within two hours, bam, got it. And I thought, well, I wasted a lot of time and money on Thai reading lessons. And I wish I had a non-native speaker explain it to me sooner. You'll be giving us some ideas on collaborative activities to help learn the language, but it's not just about that, right? Definitely not. You're correct. There's a lot of opportunity to receive social and emotional support, celebrate progress together, encourage each other. It could also be really motivating to know that other people have a common goal. For a lot of learners, of course, it's really hard to get out there and communicate, and especially for introverts. So how can collaborative learning help that kind of learner? Honestly, I think some of the greatest benefits are for introverts. In fact, I would say that when I host a game night, most of the people who attend would probably call themselves introverts. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to learn the language and be doing something with other people. It's just, that's not where they get their energy from, but they maybe have a great time and enjoy being together. Also, it, it takes out some of the, I wouldn't say responsibility, but some of the onus of having to create their own ideas and own activities. And even for extroverts, it can be daunting to get out there on the street and keep finding people to practice with. If learners come together and have fun together, it's just another way to practice. So trying to find or create a group of people learning the same language is great for both introverts and extroverts. It's a time where you can practice in a safe space within a community of other learners and gain confidence in communicating so that when you are out in the community, you've said this before, those words have come out of your mouth or something like it. Make it clear and I think you are, that you are not advocating just practicing the language with other learners. Yes, correct. Definitely not. If this is an opportunity to practice, one of many opportunities to practice, but it's definitely not a replacement for speaking with native speakers and getting out into the community. Sometimes I do something called a culture exploration group. And when we do that, a native speaker comes and helps us to process what we thought we learned out in the community. Let me jump in here and inject an example of a discussion group that one of my coaches created that did include native speakers. As a relational learner, she stressed a lot over having to do all the planning for language helper sessions. So she joined up with three other Westerners and invited two native speakers and they formed a discussion group. To get the conversation going each week, they watched a video of a local fairy tale and prepared a couple of questions. It was really beneficial, she said, in that it wasn't just on her to ask all the questions and keep the conversation going. It opened up chances to dig more into the culture, share more life stories, 
opportunities that she would never have been able to do on her own. Okay, Lauren, back to you. A question I had was, personally, I've always worried about picking up bad habits if I'm practicing with non-native speakers. I hear that a lot. What I've noticed in my studies has been that the opposite is true. People don't tend to pick up the bad habits of the people that they're speaking with. In fact, they may notice that the other person made a mistake, in which case that it has a positive effect because the person is able, in some cases, to correct that person and then they feel like a knower so that boosts their self-confidence. Or if they don't know to correct the person, then that's just not where they are in their language learning yet. I taught international students in New York City and almost everything we did was in groups. And the reason for that was to get them talking. Some of the students had only arrived literally two weeks before the start of school. Some of them knew hardly any English, but I was not concerned that they were going to pick up improper grammar from other students. If anything, they would learn more natural speech because the students spoke street English. And that's what they needed to learn, whereas I'm probably teaching them more formal English. And so I really wanted them to learn from the students, their peers. So even if it wasn't correct, they had the chance to process the language and it's okay. Quickly give us a rundown of some of your ideas. And by the way, we'll give you at the end of the podcast how you can find Lauren. There are so many games and things you can do to get creative, to have fun reviewing with other learners. One of probably my more outlandish ideas was I was really having a hard time learning how to spell in Thai. I would say Thai spelling is just as challenging as spelling in English. There are lots of Oh man, it's hard. It is really hard. And it uses a whole different alphabet. So for someone like me coming in, it is a bear. And so I just realized it just wasn't happening on my own. I wasn't learning how to spell. So I thought, I know I will start a spelling bee. And so I made a list of 200 words. Everyone was on the same page. So it was attainable. So everyone had the words. It wasn't like you would get any random word in the Thai language. Everyone got the words. A friend of mine is the MC, and she used to be a real Thai radio announcer. So she's amazing at being the MC, and that's just a lot of fun. And then, so we have written down rounds, so you're not standing in front of the room. Another idea is to host game nights. That takes a lot less prep. So something that's a little more attainable, probably for your average listener. So in Thai, there are a lot of expressions that have the word jai in them, which means heart, and over a thousand of these expressions. And they're just a little hard to learn. You know, there are certain ones that everyone knows, there are 20 or 30 that everyone knows, but then beyond that, it's just harder to learn them because you don't hear them as often. So we make games out of these, and I just pick 20 and say, okay, tonight we're going to learn these 20 expressions, these 20 phrases. Another night I made a classifier battleship game. And so we all played battleship to review classifiers, which there are hundreds in Thai. You can also do a roll a story. There are these dice that have pictures on them and you roll a story and everyone tells a story based on the dice. 
there are just so many things you can do. In my tips, there are a few tips where I've given lists upon lists of games to practice nouns, games to practice verbs, prepositions or postpositions, how to ask questions. Another time, this was done in English, but it was a good culture night. We did a Jeopardy night where we made an entire two rounds of Jeopardy just to quiz people's knowledge of the country and culture. And then the lowest level, just getting together with someone to review vocabulary, quizzing each other. What, what does this mean? And you say that, I used to do that with my dad when I was studying Spanish in high school. He would quiz me on my words. Just made it more fun to be with someone else. Fun is always good when it comes to the brain and releasing all that dopamine. We talked a little bit about that in episode five. Okay, on with other ideas. You mentioned something about learning songs together. Yeah, there's from community language learning, which is a, a method of learning languages. There's this activity where you take a song, you have a native speaker type up the lyrics, and then print them out very large. The font size would be something like 60 point font. You cut them up. And then as you listen to the song, each person you hand out the lyrics in a mixed up order. And as you're listening to the song, you tape them up onto the wall. And it's an amazing activity because it involves listening, reading, and a lot of speaking because the people need to work together to say, no, that word goes here. I think that's this. And then you listen to the song again and again. And by the time you get all the lyrics up on the wall, you've really learned that song. And with it, you've learned better pronunciation, grammar, so many things, vocabulary. So that's an activity I really enjoy. Tell us about the February 5. The February 5 is something I really wanted to increase my vocabulary. And I know everyone's always interested in increasing their vocabulary. But again, I knew I just needed some accountability. So I came up with this thing called the February Five, where the people who signed up, which was over 100 people, they signed up through the TIPS website. What we would do is we committed to learning five new vocabulary words a day which really adds up in one month, but it seemed doable, five words. Seems pretty doable in one day. And what I found at the end of the month, I did an interview of all the people who participated and overall everyone was, I said, was this useful to you? Did this help you? Do you feel you learned more words this month than you would have on your own? Everyone said yes, uh, because they felt that they knew there were other people doing it, which was so fascinating to me because we didn't communicate among each other. It was just even knowing that other people were out there doing something that was motivating to them. I also did send tips pretty much every other day. So you could say I was giving them ideas of how to learn the language today, try this, or and then the next day, try this today. So I think it was on their mind more. Another activity that has worked, which I referred to earlier a little bit, is the culture exploration groups where you pick a topic and everyone goes out into the community of native speakers, interviews the native speakers on the topic, and then we come back together and discuss what we found. So if each person interviews two or three people, 
if you have even six people join, bam, you've got at least 12 people that you've together interviewed. There's no way I can interview 12 people in a month. But if we get together, I get to hear the most interesting things that other people learn from the people they interviewed. So we're pooling our more extensive community together. You ask 12 native speakers the same question, you'll get 12 different answers. And I think that helps us to three-dimensionalize the culture more rather than thinking, I asked this one person this one question, she gave me this one answer, and therefore it's true. Your ideas are for groups learning the same language, which is probably a language of wider communication. But what about someone studying a minority language or someone in an isolated situation? What would you say? That's a great question. And that's the situation a lot of people I coach are in. I would say those people can still benefit from getting together with other language learners because they can compare notes. A lot of times, even if the language isn't the same, if it's the same language family, there will be a lot of overlap. Maybe they discover something about the sound system, or maybe they discover something about the grammar. They can still share those findings or even the culture. The cultures are going to be very different in some ways, but there will be some things that are similar and it just gets you thinking. It also helps you to realize other people care about my language learning. Even if they're not learning the same language, it's just nice to be asked, how's it going? How's your language learning going? So I think people who are studying a language, especially if no one else that they know on the planet is studying that language, then it would be great to get a prayer team going. It's also really good then to have a coach. That person really needs some encouragement and someone to talk about their learning with. Before we get to your super duper language blooper, I think we really need to address the topic of comparison. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt who said, comparison is the thief of joy. Could you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. Excellent question. We're all on the same team. So why wouldn't I want one of my teammates or my husband or my child or anyone to excel and even be better than I am at the language? I'm really glad, actually, when my husband knows a word that I don't know, I'm really happy because I don't have to waste time looking it up in the dictionary. I can just ask him. I'm very glad when other people are doing better at the language than I am. There's just no room for competition. So I'm really glad when we have complementary gifts and talents and see other people really doing well in areas. I just think it's great. At the same time, I would say, if you are listening to this and you're one who is struggling, try to find a mentor, try to find someone that you can look up to who really has been able to integrate into the culture more and see what, what is something, Not you can't be them, but maybe what's one thing that they do that you could maybe implement into your language learning program. Okay, Lauren, let's wrap up here with your super duper language blooper. Oh man, I have just too many to count. I sometimes like to say that the reason why God sent me to Thailand was to spread joy to the Thai people by cracking them up with absolutely ridiculous things I say. But I will share a really hilarious blooper 
that my husband Seth made. Now that might seem unfair that I'm not sharing one of my bloopers, but it's really just hilarious. I'm not gonna be able to get through it without cr cracking up. So he was at Home Pro one day, which is like Home Depot, and he wanted to buy a blender because he wants to make homemade hummus. He used to live in the Middle East and he wants, he really was missing hummus. And so he wanted to blend chickpeas, but the chickpeas in Thailand are really hard. And so you have to soak them and then blend them. So he needed a really strong blender. So he went to one of the salespeople and he said, will this blender, <laughs> no, should I tell, I tried to, do I tell you the story the way she heard it? I'll, I'll do, yeah, I'll tell you, this is what the native speaker heard. Does this blender, will it blend baby chicks? And the woman looks at him like he's crazy. Baby chicks, I really wanna blend baby chicks to make this word that she's never heard of. She's had never heard of hummus probably. So I really wanna make this food out of baby chicks. Is this blender strong enough for that? No, I'm not sure. She just kept saying, I'm really not sure. And she, but she was looking so baffled. And finally he realizes what he's doing wrong. He says it the right way. And the woman goes, oh, like looking really relieved that this man was not crazy, that he wanted to grind up boiled baby chicks. And then she goes, no, that blender is not strong enough. <laughs> so he came home with no blender, but with a very funny story. So. Thanks, Lauren. That was a great one. Great. Thank you so much, Mary Lynn. This was a lot of fun. You can find Lauren on Facebook if you'll search for language tips and click on tip of the tongue. Tip number 14 was her original post on collaborative learning. I'm so glad you listened in today. If you subscribe on languageonpurpose.org, you won't miss an episode.